Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Let's open with a, a word of prayer. God, we thank you for the privileges to, to be gathered here as uh, your family today. Um, God, we thank you that you've invited us into uh, this family and um, that you give so much to us. God, would we just delight in all that you have given to us? Would we be wise with how we use the resources that you have given us? And uh, would we be people who um, love to give as you have given to us? Uh, would you be with us today. Would you uh, speak to our hearts through your word, and would we delight in, in loving one another well? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. There's a, a story about a boy who, who goes to a baseball game with his uncle, and as they're walking through the crowd, uh, the uncle grabs the arm of the boy, and he says, he says, hold on to your wallet. And so the, the boy puts his hand into his pocket and he grabs his wallet and the uncle looks at him and he says, hold on tight. And so the boy says, okay. And so they get to their seats. The boy is, is still gripping onto his wallet. So he says to his uncle, he says, uncle, can I kind of let go of my wallet now? And the uncle says, he says, yeah, it's okay now. Uh, he says, you're safe. And uh, the boy turns to his uncle and he says, he says, what was that all about, all right? He says, the uncle says, he says, you see that man over there? He says, that man over there with a, a funny collar? And the boy says, yeah. And he's pointing to a priest. He says, anytime you see one of those guys, you hold on to your wallet real tight because that's all that they want. That's a, that's a story that happened to a, a pastor named uh, R.C. Sproul growing up. Um, if you've grown up here, maybe you've had a similar thought when it comes to the church and your money. The church is just out uh, to get your money. That's all that they care about. Uh, if that's you, I'm glad that you came today. Uh, today we're talking about money, yes? Uh, so David, if you wouldn't mind shutting all the doors so that no one can leave. <laughs> no. Uh, today we are talking about what the, the Bible has to say about being faithful stewards, stewarding our resources well. And, and we're going to be talking about being financially responsible. We'll be talking about tithing. We'll be talking about some of our financial responsibilities as Christians. And we'll be talking about the joy that it should bring to give. That being said, uh, today we're continuing in our series called Disciple. This is a six-week series, which we began two weeks ago, and in it, what we're doing is we're going through six identities of what makes a disciple of Jesus. So six qualities that all followers of Jesus should possess. If you're new, let me begin by sharing them with you. So we began this series talking about being a worshiper. Um, so last week, uh, so, sorry, so as followers of Jesus, we, we worship him, we delight him. 
in God. Last week we talked about disciples of Jesus being family members, meaning that uh, we belong to a family which is the local church. Today, as we mentioned, we're, we're talking about being stewards. So disciples are stewards. And then in, uh, uh, sorry, next week we'll, we'll look at being servants. So disciples of Jesus are servants. And then in the final two weeks, we're going to close this series by seeing that disciples of Jesus are witnesses and students. So as a witness, we will share about Jesus. And as a student, we will learn about Jesus. So these are the areas that we're focusing on throughout this series. And in addition, we're seeking to, to bring this language of identities into our discipleship groups. So within them, as disciples of Jesus, we want to develop more and more in each one of these areas as we follow Jesus. And we want to encourage one another to do this together by the grace of God. So let's get into to things for today. Again, today we're talking about being stewards. So the first thing I want us to see is that disciples are stewards of God's resources. Disciples are stewards of God's resources. What are we talking about when we say stewards? What exactly is a steward? No, we're not talking about male flight attendants. It's something a little bit different. Um, but a steward in, in Jesus' day was someone who was put in charge to manage the affairs of the owner uh, of the house. And so they, they would take care of what belonged to the owner. If you had a steward, it was likely that you were well off. So stewards would manage the owner's money. They would manage the servants, and they would ensure that work was being done. This is the role of the steward, to take care of the resources that belonged to the owner. This is what we're talking about when, when we talk about being a steward. We are tasked with being wise with the resources that God has given to us. It's ultimately, they belong to him. Let me read for, for us this from Psalm 24. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. What is it saying? It, it's saying quite plainly that everything in this world, in fact, everything beyond this world, belongs to God. God is the creator. We are his creation. He made everything and therefore everything he owns. And as his creation, whatever we possess is ultimately not our own. We enter this world with nothing. When we leave this world, we will have nothing. But God will still remain and still retain his creation. And so as we are here on earth, we are stewards of the things that belong to God. Follow me in, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. In this chapter, Jesus tells uh, this parable of a master and his servants. It's called the parable of the talents. We went through this a, a few months ago in our series in Matthew. But let's look at it again. Is what we see in it is, is great instruction about our relationship with God as his stewards. So Matthew, Matthew 25 is where we're going to be. So this is Jesus, and he's talking about the kingdom of God. And this is what he says. He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. 
He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who had the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a a parable about being faithful stewards. It's a parable about being wise with the resources that God has entrusted to us. And what we see is that there are faithful stewards and there are unfaithful stewards. So let's unpack that a bit. So the parable talks about the master giving his servants some talents, okay? An important question that we should ask is, what is a talent, right? Context tells us that it is some amount of money, right? That's clear enough. We see that it is some amount of money, but we would miss the big picture if we just think it is some money. Scholars disagree on how much exactly a talent was worth, but what they do agree on is that it was a significant amount of money. Even on the conservative side of the spectrum, it is said that a talent would be worth at least several hundred thousand dollars. Okay, others I read said that a talent could be worth a million dollars or millions of dollars in today's currency. Regardless of the actual amount, what we see is that servants, the servants are entrusted with an enormous amount of money. And this ought to tell us something about our relationship with God. God has entrusted us with much. As we mentioned, everything is from God. Therefore, it all belongs to him. And we should feel the weight of the responsibility to be wise with the resources that he's entrusted to us, knowing that they are ultimately not our own. We should be wise stewards with everything he gives us, our time, our money, our lives, every resource that we have, because It is all from him. And in this parable, we see that some of the stewards are wise with the responsibility, 
and one is not. The first, they, they take what they have been given and they multiply it. They use it wisely. And when the master returns, he rewards them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So God commends those who are faithful. He entrusts them with more, and they get to experience the joy of the master. There is a reward for being a faithful steward, and it is delighting with God. It is experiencing his joy. The unfaithful steward, on the other hand, he takes what was given to him, and he does nothing with it. Right? He makes nothing out of the large sum that has been given to him. In fact, the master says to him, you should have at least put it in the bank where, where it could have gained some interest. We see the steward is unfaithful with much, and so the master takes it away from him, and he is cast out of his presence into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so what is this story about? What this story is not about is God's expectation that you double up the money that he's given you. That is not what, what we're talking about here. It is not about building up wealth here on earth. In fact, Jesus elsewhere tells us not to store up treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroy. What is it about then? It is about investing your resources in the kingdom of God. It is about taking the things in your possession that ultimately belong to God and using them for things that God loves. So once you recognize that everything belongs to God, you will invest it in things that God loves. So being a faithful steward has to do with how you spend your time at work. It has to do with what you spend your money on. It has to do with caring for people in the church. It has to do with what you put into your mind. All of these are kingdom investments. So it, as we see in the, this church, it is a delight to see women investing in one another for Bible study because this is a kingdom investment. It is a joy to see couples in this church pursue a biblical understanding of marriage because that is a kingdom investment. It is such a delight that on the last day of our piano player's time serving here in Montreal, I had someone approach me and say, hey, I've been playing guitar since I was seven years old and I would love to come and serve. That brings me joy because it is a kingdom investment and that could not have been orchestrated by anyone else but God. And it gives me joy that we had 14 people at the members orientation last Sunday after a message about being family members and all 14 of those people signed up to continue with the membership process and want to seek to enter into a covenant relationship with this local church family. That is a kingdom investment. Church, continue to make kingdom investments because you are stewards of God's resources. And for those who, sit, who, who do, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's talk about money. You guys excited? <laughs> good. Uh, often, when, when, when we talk about being a, a good steward, the conversation turns to, the, to talk about tithing, okay? So many of you might be thinking, should I tithe? Is this something that I'm required to do as a Christian? Are we supposed to tithe? That is a great question. 
So I want to explore that for us today. I want to begin by saying this. There are a ton of misconceptions around tithing, and I want to address some of them today so that we can get a biblical view of stewardship. And I suspect what the Bible has to say about tithing will likely surprise you. Let me ask you guys a couple of questions to begin. I want to kind of see what, what you believe about these things. So feel free to, to shout out your answer. What is your net worth? No, that's not, <laughs> not, <laughs> that's not the question. Um, this, this is a question, though. How much is the tithe? How much would you say the tithe is? 10%. Okay. Good to know. Should Christians tithe? Great. I'm excited to get into this with you. <laughs> Many churches ask for a tithe. They hand out an offering plate, or like us, they say, we say, giving is an act of worship, and you can give online at, or at the, the, the black box in the back, and I will get into why we do that in a minute. If you're not familiar, Tithing is a practice done in the Old Testament by the Jews. So there's a, a few verses about tithing. And so when we think of tithing, we probably think about giving 10% of your income to the church, church right? A tenth, uh, sorry, a tithe means a tenth. And growing up in, in the church, for me, that was just the norm. If you are a good Christian, you tithe, and your aim is to give 10% of your income. What you may not know is that there are different tithes in the Bible. There's not just one tithe. There are multiple tithes. So scripture says that the Israelites were to give a tenth of their income or their crops or their animals to the temple. There were other tithes as well that were required. They were required to save up for, for large feasts, for example, um, where they would give a tenth of their crops in that year. There's another tithe that would be given to the poor. It was a tenth that they gave every three years. And so in reality, if you total up all the tithes in Scripture every year, the Jewish people in the Old Testament would likely have given at least 23% of their yearly income to the temple. There's some, a little bit of disagreement uh, on the numbers, but that is actually on the conservative side of things, 23%. I remember when I was a, a new Christian, I had a friend, uh, he was in seminary, he's probably one of the smartest guys that I know, and so we spent a, a lot of time together as I was learning about Jesus, and I brought up tithing at some point with him, I said, I don't remember the conversation exactly, but I said something about like, you know, when, when I tithe or, or whatever like this, and he said to me, he said, Graham, which tithe do you give? And I was like, I had no idea what he was talking about, I was like, tithe is 10%, that's just what we do. He said, do you give the Levitical tithe? Do you give the feast tithe? Or do you give the poor tithe? This was brand new to me and maybe to you as well. And so all that being said, if we are thinking about the Old Testament concept of tithing, we are talking about much more than 10%. Let me say this as well. The tithing system that we see in the Old Testament was meant for the Jewish people living in Israel at that time. There's no mention of tithing for Christians in the New Testament. It never says that we are commanded to give 10% or 23% of our income to the church. We're not under the old covenant anymore. I feel like I heard audible sighs of relief there. <laughs> so is tithing just an Old Testament thing? Are you saying that I don't have to tithe. 
That's a good question. Before we get too far, let us pause there for a minute. Tithing is in the Bible. And we believe all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so we don't just throw out the Old Testament. Just because we are under a new covenant doesn't mean we disregard the Old Testament law. But what do we do then about this stuff about tithing then? Let me pose this question that maybe we should ask of the text. What was, the, what was the purpose of tithing? What was tithing for? The Bible says that tithing was given to the Levites, so those who devoted their lives to ministry. It was given to the poor, the widow, the fatherless, and the sojourner. Tithes went to those in need. That is the heart of the law behind the tithes. It, meant, it was meant to provide for those in ministry and for those in need. So those who were unable to provide for themselves or who worked in ministry and don't make money from a nine to five. So that, with that being said, should you tithe? Maybe a better question to ask is this. Is there a need? Are there still people devoting their lives to ministry? Do the poor still exist? Are my brothers and sisters in this church in need? You are not required to tithe as prescribed in the Old Testament, but you are commanded to not neglect those who are in need. You are called to care for the poor, the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner. Scripture says that those who teach deserve their wages. So rather than ask, should I tithe, perhaps we should ask, where is their need? We have been entrusted with much. And so let us be good stewards of God's resources. What does that look like in the church today? Let's look at what stewardship looks like in the church. One of the things I want to see is that Christian stewards handle their resources with integrity. Christian stewards handle their resources with integrity. I want to share with you from the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts is where we see the early church begin. We see the Spirit poured out on the believers in Acts chapter 2. And then what we see is that as the believers are gathered and living Christ-centered lives in community with one another, that the church begins to grow. It begins to expand. God adds to the numbers of the believers. In fact, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, is what we model our members' gatherings around. If you've been around, you'll be familiar with this. But let me read for us what it says. It says this, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, so this is 
how we initially see the church grow and advance in the New Testament. The church gathers together. They pray together. They worship together. They eat together. They go to temple together. They provide for the needs of one another, and they have unity with one another. And God grows the church as a result of this. I want to fast forward a little bit. End of Acts chapter 4, we see a very similar picture of unity within this church. I want, to pay, I want you to pay attention to, to the wording here. Let's read what it says. Acts 4, starting in verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and grace, great, great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And it says this, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Does that sound a little bit familiar, right? It sounds like what we just read from Acts 2, right? The, the believers are gathering. They are selling their possessions. They had everything in common. It says that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They were testifying that Jesus was raised from the dead. There was not a needy person among them, for they were selling their possessions as anyone had need. And then at the end here, what we see uh, is a specific example. There's an example of a man named Barnabas who sells a field and brings the proceeds from that field to the apostles. We see with Barnabas is that Barnabas gives us an example of how to handle our resources with integrity. Barnabas does not hold on to his treasure as he recognizes a need within the church. He sells a field that belonged to him so that he could, could provide. This is very interesting about Barnabas. Something that it mentions about him was that he was a Levite. Well, Levites were not supposed to own land in the Old Testament. It's possible that there was an exception for him to have it, or it may be that as a follower of Jesus, he doesn't live under that system anymore. Whatever it was, it wasn't common for him to own land. Levites did not own land. And so what we see is here is that he was willing to sacrifice this unique privilege for the good of the church. Barnabas handles his resources with integrity. Let's keep going, though. What, what happens immediately after this? This is really important for us to see. What happens right after this story? So we see, we see the church is gathering. They're providing for one another as anyone had need. They're selling their possessions. They're giving to the people in the church. And right after this, we see the first ever death recorded in the church. This is the first time in the church we see someone die. Here's what happens. It says in Acts 5, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. So far, so good. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Not so good anymore. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? 
and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. It says, then after, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they, they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her, us her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Not your typical text on, on being stewards. I get it. But these are the first deaths that are recorded in the church. And what is the cause of them is not handling their resources with integrity. They lie about the proceeds that they were given for the land. Where the church has been giving as anyone has need, they say we will take what we want from what we sell. They put their faith in their resources. They covet their possessions, rather God's possessions. They don't trust that they have enough, and the result is death. They bring death into the church because they weren't caring for the needs of others. They were only caring for themselves. And what this shows us is the seriousness in how we ought to steward our resources. And the point of this is not that you give every penny that you have to the church. That is not the point of this at all. The point is that they didn't make a decision with God. They didn't handle their resources with integrity. They don't have the good of the church in mind. They have their own selfish motives in mind. They lied. They treated their resources like they were their own, not God's. And so for us here today, it is important for us to handle our resources with integrity. Whether you give a little or a lot is not the point. Do you go to God with your resources, or do you act as though they are your own? Are you investing in the kingdom of God, the things that God loves? Do you seek to address the needs of the church? These are some questions to think about when handling our resources with integrity. So Christian stewards handle the resources with integrity. Next, we see that Christian stewards give joyfully. Christian stewards give joyfully. I wonder if you've thought about giving as a joy. That's how the Bible describes giving. That is actually a joy to give. This is from Acts 20. This is what Paul says. He says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You know yourselves that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, of the Lord Jesus how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving is a blessing. That sounds like a nice thing to put on a coffee cup or a bumper sticker, but let's be real, that's not how we always feel. We feel as though we don't have enough. We go around like the Israelites in the desert, not believing that God will provide for us. 
We covet what others have. We spend our money on things we don't really need because we do not trust that we have enough. It is more blessed to give than receive is a great saying we can affirm, but it is immensely difficult to live out practically. But let me tell you why we can delight in giving, why we can have joy in providing for one another. And that is because we worship a God who gives. Giving is in the very nature of his being. For God so loved the world that he gave. God gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Scripture says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. God gave his life for you. It says, Scripture says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God gives us his spirit when we put our faith in him. Our God is a giving God. I wonder if you've ever thought of that before. God does not hold on to what he owns, but gives it freely. Therefore, as followers of Jesus, giving should be in our spirit. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What he's not talking about here is material wealth. He's talking about the riches of knowing God, the creator of the universe, knowing him through his son Jesus, who gave everything for you. This is why we can delight in giving, because our wealth is not in having money or things or consuming the latest pop culture. Our wealth is in knowing Jesus Christ and loving self-sacrificially like he did. And so as Christian stewards, we can give with joy. We have the freedom to release our grip on our wallets because we love nothing more than to know Jesus Christ. And we see that love is a giving love. God gives us much, and we can know this kind of love as we delight in him and give ourselves to others. And this is why at Renaissance we say giving as worship. Because giving is worship. If you remember from the beginning of our series, we talked about being worshipers. And worshiping has to do with delighting in God. It has to do with enjoying what God calls for us to do. And so under our new covenant with God, we are not required to give 10% or 23%. We are not required to give under compulsion, as Scripture says. We give as worship, meaning we delight to help those in need. We handle our giving with integrity, meaning we bring everything to God, including our finances. We handle it with seriousness, meaning that neglecting our brothers and sisters in the church brings death and destruction within. We give with a generous heart because God has been so generous to us. He has entrusted us with so much, and he was so gracious to give us his very own son. God is a giving God, and as disciples of Jesus, we should be giving people. Faithful stewards with what he has given us. Let me challenge you with this today. I would ask you to think this question. I would ask you to think why. Why you give what you give? Why are you giving what you give? Are you giving 10% because that's what you've been taught is the norm? 
Do you give nothing because you've never thought about the idea that you have, what you have belongs to God? Do you give a lot because you feel pressure to give? Choose to make your decision not based on any of these external factors, but what you have thoughtfully prayed about, what you've decided with God. Maybe that's 10%. Maybe that's 1%. Maybe that's 23%. Whatever it is, let it be done worshipfully, delighting in God as you do so. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.